Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get yourself a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash sweetstorybro. With over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player, man, you're spoiled for choice with something to listen to. So I know what you're going to do as soon as this show has ended. You're going to head over to audibletrial.com slash sweetstorybro and pick yourself up something free today. Now hear this. The following podcast is likely to contain numerous instances of vulgarity or profanity, which some may deem inappropriate. If you're of an overly sensitive disposition, stop listening now. Additionally, the podcast will be filled with numerous spoilers throughout, so if you haven't had an opportunity to read, watch, or enjoy the story prior to this broadcast, please do so, before continuing with this episode of Sweet Story. Hey, yo, what is going on? Welcome back to another episode of Sweet Story Bro with your friend, writer Steve Russell, bringing you the good, the bad, the geeky in these particular stories of my choosing and your choosing because you guys have made recommendations before and I've, of course, listened and decided to review them based off of your recommendations, which means what? I'm open to your suggestions. I love hearing from you guys, you story bros out there, which once again, for those who are new to the show, totally gender neutral. So please, if you do have a recommendation, you want to know what I think about that story, you want the geek critique, you want me to list out the good, you want me to list out the bad of a story that you like that I haven't touched on yet, let me know. Let me know. It's the only way. You can do so via Twitter. That's probably the easiest way, at Sweet Story Bro. Tell you what, cut a long story short. All the links are available. Everything you need in one, a one-stop shop, sweetstorybro.com. So be sure to check it out, sweetstorybro.com. I cannot tell you what a thrill it is to hear from you guys every time you do reach out. I just wish more of you did it because, hey, I see you guys listening. I see those stats, man. I can see all around the world from places I wouldn't even have thought would have found a, a little story podcast like mine, a little story review podcast. The little podcast I could, I'll keep on trucking because... God knows, I, I, I wish that it could find an even bigger net of people, you know. So those of you who love this show, those of you who are already subscribed to iTunes or SoundCloud or however you get your podcast, your podcast listening device of choice, please recommend it. Please let other people know because when I hear from you guys, I know I, I get such a kick out of it. I know that this time put into what should be a hobby, but is has quickly become so much more in, in terms of how I use my time and dedicate my time. And don't get me wrong, I love it. I, I It's a great hobby. It's a great pastime. I wish it could be a career of some sorts, you know, tied in with writing and doing more jujitsu would be amazing. That is my perfect life right there. But if you guys just reach out and let me know you're there, that you're enjoying what I'm doing, like that would mean the world to me, especially right now. So with that in mind, and without further ado... I think it's time I get into maybe the reasons why I chose this story to look at for this particular episode. Number 30, by the way. Wow. 30 episodes. And apart from pre-announced uh, time away, never miss a slot. 
for what that's worth, for you guys out there who take that very seriously, who subscribe and unsubscribe based on people missing deadlines, you can trust in me, man. Your pal Steve. I've been looking forward to talking about this one with you guys for a little while now. I can't lie. And here's why. It ties into why I chose this story in the first place to watch and ultimately review because, believe it or not, I, I read and watch and play a lot more stuff that I don't even get a, around to doing a geek critique on because I'm not sure if you guys be interested in it or not or you know there's no demand for it. But this is one of those seminal uh, animes. This is one of those shows that gets put on a pedestal by everybody and is beloved by so many and is also something that I've actually never seen prior to watching it and then reviewing it. I knew come the end of it that I really wanted to get into the mindset of the people that created this to understand their decisions, especially given the longevity of its success. So many people quote this show as the reason that they got into anime. And I say that from a Westerner's perspective. A lot of people seem to jump on this show. It was one of the first in the foray, I believe, to kind of break into the West, which may be why so many people, uh, it's so beloved by so many, because it's the first that they saw. Much like uh, a lot over here in the UK would have seen Dragon Ball Z uh, and things like that as their first exposure to anime. Growing up where I did, that was something that was just prevalent ever since I was a child. So when I eventually moved over to the UK, I was surprised that Dragon Ball Z was only just picking up, only just taking off. But Cowboy Bebop, there's so many things in this this world, so many stories that I, just classics, con- considered classics that I've still not seen. And Bebop just happened to be one of them. And when I saw that it was Netflix... I knew that it was just about time that I I just put it on my list, finally got to it, and watch it. It was only 26 episodes, and that's just another reason I'm so surprised that it was able to be so popular and have the longevity of success that it has. 26 episodes in a movie. It's not Community. Six seasons in a movie. Not this one. One season, one movie, which I haven't seen yet. Now, for those that are actually unfamiliar with the story of uh, Cowboy Bebop, allow me to just read the blurb. That's provided, and this is really, really slim pickings, really, really bare bones. And this is taken from Amazon.co.uk. And I quote The crew of the Bebop is once again ready to clean up space by bringing bad guys to justice and trying to make some cash while doing it. Join the always cool Spike Spiegel, investigative genius Jet Black, the alluring Faye Valentine, the amazing but weird Ed and the super smart Welsh Corgi named Ayn, as they try to make a buck in the year 2071. How do they do it? They're bounty hunters. Quote. So you can see what I'm coming, where I'm coming from with that. I mean, that's it, it does kind of get across the basic story, and I, I suppose that's enough to just act as a hook to get people involved. But I don't know, for somebody like me who's coming to this so, so many years, decades almost, decades, yeah, decades after it came out, it seems so slim to try and grab somebody's attention because what they're describing there is something that we've seen before. And I put my hands up. Obviously, I think this is actually the first time the easy comparative point for Western viewers is Firefly, right? A band, uh, a ragtag bunch of, of, of people come together to, to act as a crew, even though they're not best suited for each other, going through space, somehow making money, somehow taking over, just getting enough to fly to the next spot to make more money. 
sounds very Firefly. Or should I say Firefly sounds very Cowboy Bebop. Now, without further ado, I, I just want to get into this this review here because I've been looking forward to talking about it. The research that I did was great. I had so much fun doing the research, getting into the mindset of the people behind this. And I'm really hoping – this is what I mean when, when I say it so many times. Take influence. Take inspiration from everywhere. For me, I want to write. And that's evolved from working in uh, film – to writing novels and things like that. And I've that's what resonates with me now. That's how I want to express myself. That's how I want to create my art with my words. And even though this is an anime, there is so much to it. Don't get me wrong, though. I know that anime is actually a very versatile medium in order to tell a story. A lot of people look down on it just because it is um, people, you know, cartoons, but it's not. Obviously, it's animated, but the level of what they explore, the level of thematic topics touched upon in most anime runs a lot deeper than American and Western cartoons. Although that is changing, there has been a shift, which I think uh, I spoke about in a previous episode. I think the Troll Hunters episode, I talked about that. One of the first things that that really, really struck me when I was sitting down to make my notes, when I was sitting down to kind of like formulate the script for the podcast, this geek critique was how incredibly connected, how universally developed and cohesive the world building is for the universe that Spike and Co. of the Bebop inhabit. He, that is um, Shinichiro Watanabe, who is the writer and director, kind of like the um, showrunner, if you will, for Cowboy Bebop, really went above and beyond in order to create every little aspect that runs cohesively across every world that they go to. Even when the world is totally different from a, a planet previous, there's still you, you still buy into the fact that this is the same universe. Now, when I go into these geek critiques, you guys expect some sort of analysis on the writing techniques and the writing styles. I get that. What makes it good writing? What makes it bad writing? Here's why this is so important, and this is what Sapkowski does so well in the Witcher novels as well, which I've reviewed previously. World building matters. World building matters because without it, you don't have any real context for the world that your main protagonist lives within, how they react to the things around them, how they deal with the climates of the, the, you know, whether it's social, political, whatever. And you don't have to go deep with that. You can just touch on it if you want to, but that's world building. And it matters so much for us to care about the stakes that the main characters and their um, friends have to deal and survive with them. Never ignore it. Even if your story is set within the real world, there's still so many elements at play there. And th- this is this is why I love doing this because it helps cr- it helps to form and crystallize these ideas in my own mind, so I can try and use it myself. In fact, I've actually got a quote from uh, Watanabe-san. Again, the writer-director, taken from an interview with a website called jazzmess.com, jazzmess.com. And I quote, I had to create a non-existent world step by step and make it seem as though life actually existed. I had to consider every aspect, including trash cans and telephone poles. And usually, I don't think about these things because it's a pain. But when I did, it took a lot of time and effort. I wanted to create something that had never been seen. You've seen a lot in the past and find things you like. These days, many people try to create what they've seen. That's not what I wanted to do. 
I probably included what I've seen and liked, but the overall picture will become something totally new. Create something we've never seen before was my goal, sort of, end quote. And he does. He really does. You watch the show and you see the designs of the spaceships. You see just how the streets are. Like he says, the lampposts, everything had to be signed off by him because he really was crafting an entire universe. It is an impressive feat to do that because to to go from literally nothing and then using just your imagination to craft something into creation, but not only that, and this is the key here, it's cohesive, right? Because you can do world building but have it not relate to any other thing, and that's fine because other places have different cultures, but there are some base things that will be the same. Trash cans, it seems so silly, but trash cans are one of them. I enjoyed the fun little references to other prolific science fiction creators, especially in the bounty hunter names in the earlier episodes. You've got Asimov, you've got Deckard, you've got, you know, there's so many that are running throughout this show. Lots of influence has been taken, and it shows in the presentation. What's interesting here is it's a lot of Western sci-fi influence that's inspired and um, helped Watanabe craft his take on it, which is now a Japanese take on Western sci-fi because it's been influenced by it. And Cowboy Bebop has then gone full circle and has now begun influencing Western things. You look at Firefly. Everybody steals from everybody. And... It helps create better art because it. there's no shame in it, I don't think, as long as it's not literally theft and identical, just changing it ever so slightly. Be influenced. Don't be ashamed to be influenced is the lesson that I take from this one. And there's a le- I think there's a lesson we can take from every story that we've analyzed together. Watanabe, again, uh, said, I got a quote from him, and this is from a website called intothematrix.com. Quote, It's hard for me to identify my influences because I watch so many things and enjoy so many different things, but I do like and have watched a lot of old American movies. If there's something in my work that hints of influence from a certain film or something, it may very well be, because it's something I like and has just crept down into my work, end quote. And that's fine. That's fine. I take inspiration from this because this is how I try to write as well. I am a product of all the influences that I've had over my life. I love dropping references into my writing. I love doing that. I did it back when I was in a pop punk band called Adventure Stars Samar. Check them out on Spotify if you haven't listened to my – if you're a fan of Blink-182 and stuff, check them out. I love dropping references and seeing who gets it. And if you, But the key with references, and this is what's so subtle, is don't make it overt. Don't make it too obtuse. You have to make it so that – if the person watching or reading doesn't know it, it doesn't stimmy or ruin the experience. But for those that do get it, oh man, it's like a little Easter. There's a little pat on the head. They know you're in a club now. You're in a club together. I love it when stuff does that. And there's a lot of here, a lot of it in here. And the, again, it's good writing because it's subtle. They don't knock it over your head unless you're particularly familiar with these guys. Like Asimov is a big one, of course. As soon as you see the name, you're like, all right, okay, that's pretty obvious. But what's interesting here is that Watanabe never really knew or considered Cowboy Bebop taking off in the West the way it did. He designed it primarily for a Japanese audience who may not be familiar with Western writers and Western sci-fi writers and science fiction directors in the way that a lot of Westerners obviously are. Now, all the characters, all the major characters, and I'm talking about the key core Bebop crew at this point, okay? 
Spike, Jet, Faye, Ed, and even Ayn. Even Ayn. They're all pretty much, they're all pretty well fleshed out, honestly. And they're all given purpose, agency, and backstory understanding, usually through dedicated episodes. And there's a little bit of a double-edged sword here because they're so focused on making sure we understand who these people are, what their background is, where they come from, that sometimes it's to the chagrin of the overarching story thread, which we'll get into in a little bit. Believe me, we will. But when you have only 26 episodes and a number of these are dedicated just to certain members to flush them out as though they're the protagonist as opposed to a supporting cast member, it's a very interesting play because on the one hand, it's great. We Every character matters. It's like every character is almost a main character. Obviously, Spike, if you want to call them one, Spike is the protagonist. But there are so many elements running throughout. You're like, Faye could be. The story of Faye and her amnesia, figuring out who she is after the accident, and then she was cryogenically frozen, is incredibly compelling. That's a really interesting story that kind of propels her into the main character spotlight rather than just a supporting character. Spike, so many times during the unfolding of these stories, is in the background, if not present really at all. And that's just a really interesting way to do it because Watanabe and crew have obviously gone into this going, everybody matters. Everybody matters, and we need to express this so everybody cares about them. So if anything happens to them, it matters. And that's, that's fantastic. You care about everybody because everybody matters, and that's exactly how it should be. A lot of stories have characters or side characters that exist just to propel, just to put up the main character, the main protagonist, and these are friends who elevate them, right? A lot of shows early on in their lives will be guilty of this before finally having the opportunity to develop you know, the lesser characters, so on and so forth. This is not guilty of that, but it doesn't you know, it's not completely flawless. Every character has an opportunity to shine throughout the 26 episodes. And like I say, Spike is clearly the main character, the protagonist, but the crew that surrounds him are just as important. You know, they all have their own lives as opposed to existing to serve him, as I was saying. It's good writing and it's great characterization. My next point is more of a a little bit of an aside, but I think it was worth mentioning just because I was really impressed with this in terms of representation, right? We spoke about this briefly, um... No, not briefly. It was actually quite a big point on the Troll Hunters episode. But Cowboy Bebop was released in 1998. Yeah, yeah. 1998 is when it came out in Japan, a little later in the States, obviously. And I think it was really ahead of its time in terms of representation. It really is. And it shows to it goes to show how open-minded the entire team that created Cowboy Bebop are. And it's great because it has true representation across the board. You got people who are meant to be Westerners. You got um, people who are meant to be from the East, Asians. You got um, uh, you got people of all different races and and creeds represented in this show, and thankfully not as an awful awful stereotype, which a lot of anime is actually guilty of. Like for example, um, the black characters in this, they look great. They're not pastiched at all. And I, it's important to make a note of this because, uh, like I say, a lot of anime, especially in the past, it's, it's a bit of a cruel facsimile as opposed to the rep, true representation. And, you know, gender issues are represented here. You have uh, um, gay representation as well. And an almost – and this is my favorite thing about it and this is what makes it good writing and it, it goes to show the universe that's developed here. 
all right? Because it's one throwaway scene, but you know that it's like in the future when stuff like this shouldn't matter, right? And it's the scene where Spike's chasing someone and they burst into a room and there are two dudes in a bed together. And that's it. And then he leaves the room. And that's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. And it's great. It's great because it it's it's just so open to to what the what it is. The representation, I mean, I can only imagine how a lot of people might have felt about that at the time. But I mean, here we are as I record this in 2017 and despite all the progress what we've made worldwide, I mean, we're on the brink of of going a little bit backwards. It's amazing that in 1998 you had this sort of representation. And here in 2017, people are still fighting for their rights about that. It's a shame. Now, my favorite thing about this show, undeniably, the major point is that it's smart. It is smart, and the story forces you to think in a lot of occasions. It doesn't spoon-feed you at all. There's a lot of points where you come into it, and it almost feels like you're playing catch-up. Not in the same way as a media res and media res, which for long-term listeners of the show, you know, I'm not particularly fond of in a lot of ways. Yes, it can work as a storytelling technique if executed well. The question and the challenge, of course, is executing it well. We are dropped into their lives, it seems, after major events have happened to all of them. And this, is, this ties back to my point earlier where they're all developed and all fully fleshed. These guys have history. They all have baggage. And that's so imminently clear. There are times when they are feeling certain ways, doing certain things, or having, or, you know, speaking to each other, and you're, you're just like, wait, have I missed something? And it makes you think. It doesn't spoon-feed you everything. And it's all the better for it. It forces you to engage with it. It's not necessarily a show that you can just switch off on. You know, have your mobile phone in your hand, check Twitter. Whilst it's on in the background, you can do that, but you're going to miss stuff. You are. I mean, the way this works out, we're dropped in with these characters and we see how they come together as a crew. That's not much is true, but it becomes clearer through multiple flashbacks. Again, another storytelling technique that I'm not, I'm not usually a fan of, but it becomes clear through these flashbacks that they all had previous lives that led them to this point in time. Watanabe has this to say, and it's taken from an interview with otakuusamagazine.com. Quote, Back when we were making Cowboy Bebop, one thing I told the staff was, let's make a show that does not feel dated in 10 or 20 years. So I'm happy that has actually taken place. End quote. This is obviously in a sort of a retrospective um, interview looking back on it recently. And he's right. The animation style, the cohesive universe that makes sense pretty much from top to bottom, the futuristic setting of that cohesive universe, as well as the representation that is on show, it all adds together. All these are positive building blocks together to help give it the longevity that he sought. And because of it, it has aged incredibly, incredibly well. The animation style in particular, some animes out there that the style it's unfair it's almost unfair to say but it does have a it has a detrimental effect on how modern audiences will look at it because like with movies like with everything we're so used now to such a stylized slick approach that the rougher older style 
turns off a lot of people before they even give it a go. That's not true of Bebop. Bebop still looks great, and I think it was one of the. It must have been one of the first to utilize 3D elements into background components. Because when it, when some of the 3D elements first came up, yeah, the graphics are a little dated, but the way that they're designed still still looks a part of the universe. It works. It complements the animation behind it. It's very good, very clever. I've got another quote with Watanabe, again, taken from otakuusamagazine.com. Quote, Personally, though, I love works where you can't tell if it's supposed to be funny or serious. So my shows are very intentionally made in that way. I often instruct my staff to work on a show to make it so that the audience can't tell if it's supposed to be a joke or serious. But a lot of times, they just end up being confused. End quote. He is purposely messing with us. And that's great. He's making things obtuse. He's making things a little bit more difficult. Is this darkly funny? Is this just funny? Is it dark? How do you feel about it? The fact that you have conflicting emotions about it at all makes it good writing. means that it's having a deeper effect on you where you actually have to think about it and process it a little bit as opposed to just letting it wash over you and that's it. You're forced to engage. You're forced to think about it. And you're forced to contemplate over why you're feeling that way with certain scenes in certain particular moments. And that's true. And that's what good writing does. It makes you think about it after the fact. It stays with you. A good story will stay with you. But I bet you're thinking, with all this praise, with all the good points that I have to make about Cowboy Bebop, that it's a shoe-in. Not so fast. Au contraire, mon frere. Enjoy the coffee. Take a deep sip, because we're about to go into the cons of Cowboy Bebop. And... Before you get affronted, before you flip a table, there are a few. Take off those rose-tinted glasses. And most importantly, remember this is just my opinion. This is one dude who wants to be a writer analyzing writing and geek stories in order to try and make his writing and approach his stories all that much better. One person. Your friend, Steve Russell. At Steve Tendo. Personal Twitter account. At Sweet Story Bro. Professional podcast Twitter account. And these, these notes, they run the gamut from like minor asides like the representation thing to kind of deeper level discussion points to do with the story as a whole. Now, the first thing that I took a little bit of issue with, and this is one of the asides, is near the end, some characters make really odd choices that have almost zero motivation. And what I mean by that is the choices that they make don't really have the logic behind them. They just kind of do it to separate themselves from what will happen. And this is this is so evidently clear in the run-up to the final episodes, the two-parter near the end. Those episodes, incidentally, called The Real Folk Blues, Part 1, Part 2. Things like uh, Ed and Ayn leaving prior to these, deciding to cut off on their own. I, I personally didn't feel that this was incredibly well-explained or well-motivated. It felt disassociated and disconnected a little bit to what came prior. The fact that Ed was all by herself for the longest while, looking for a family, looking for a home, looking for a connected thread, given that she was abandoned by her father, heavy issues there that are so... They touch upon them, but that one wasn't really developed properly, I don't think. I mean, she would have major abandonment issues, and maybe that's why she's so cracked, but maybe she's just naturally weird and that's fine because who wants to be boring and quote unquote normal right 
But them leaving together, that's 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 the main highlight of this point for me. It, it just didn't make sense. And as you watch it, again, it's only in maybe the last five episodes or so, but things start happening where you're just like, is that the right choice? Would they really do that as a character? I don't know. It just it just stuck out in my head to me. The next point is going to be a little bit of a divisive one. I know that. <laughs> I know that before going into it. And I know I'm, I'm treading lightly here because anime fans are a certain kind of hardcore fan. It's true. They're like wrestling fans. And that's something I know quite a lot about. I'm a huge wrestling nerd. Always have been. I'm a lifer. Um, but anime fans are very defensive. But this is why I had to stress at the top. This is just my opinion. One thing you can't deny that exists in any medium for TV, TV specifically, especially the show, I mean, the Western shows suffer from it, especially if their seasons run 22, 24 episodes, and anime suffers for it even if their series is only 26. Filler. Filler episodes. The amount of times, like, when you watch Dragon Ball Z, if you've watched it, or any Dragon Ball iteration... How many episodes have gone by with two people just looking at each other, commenting on how strong the other is, or powering up? They're able to extend one simple premise into multiple episodes that last 18 to 20 minutes each, just with these sounds. <sighs> or, oh my god, he's, he's so strong! How is he so powerful? Or some shit like that. I hope you enjoyed that. I don't know who that was meant to be. Krillin, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> but um, it's just weird. It's just annoying. Because time is precious, man. Don't give me filler stuff. Don't do it. Don't give me filler. But like I say, unfortunately, with pretty much... And this is universal. This is East and West, my friend. It's inevitable. And it's a shame. It's a shame. This is why I'm such a fan of the HBO and Showtime to a lesser degree and a lot of British TV shows where they have shorter run seasons, go back and listen to the Stranger Things episodes. Stranger Things is eight episodes. I make a big point about this, and I have some great quotes from the brothers that created it talking about this and talking about narrative thread and overall arcs and why eight episodes is right for them to tell their story. If you haven't checked it out, do so. It's a great lesson in constructing a story over multiple periods, multiple episodes. But I don't know what the story was with Cowboy Bebop, if they were ever expecting to be renewed for season two, especially given how this series ends with the ambiguous death of Spike at the hands of um, Vicious and Co. At the very, very end, he's, he's on the steps leaving the Red Dragon headquarters. But you would think that with a one-season, 26-episode story arc, you'd want to minimize the filler episodes as much as humanly possible so that everything could be gold. Dai Sato, one of the writers on Cowboy Bebop, has this to say, and this is once again taken from the interview with otakuusamagazine.com because they actually interviewed them together. If you haven't, if you're interested, do check out the interview. It's a very interesting one about the style and the process of putting these these stories together and how they work together as well because they've worked on multiple projects. I've actually seen more of their stuff than I was even aware because I'll hold my hands up. Even though um, I like anime, I am not anime mad. I am not crazy, crazy for anime. And this is weird considering one of the first writing gigs I had for a website was with an anime website. And that's fine. They sent me free stuff and it was fun to watch and it was good to, to get review copies of stuff. Felt very legitimizing, even though I never ever got paid for it, unfortunately, and ultimately led to nothing. But it was a fun experience 
to engage with an art form that I was aware of, enjoyed, but didn't go crazy for. Because, man, you go to these Comic Cons. Like, I've been to MCM Comic Con a couple of times over here in London, and the anime representation is off the hook. They call it niche. When you go to these, you'll see it's not so much with the niche, man. Loads of people love it. Obviously, if you look at percentage, <laughs> you're... You look at the percentile, it will obviously still be quite small, but you go there, you realize how large that community and that fan base actually is. Dai Sato has this to say, and I quote, For us writers, the technical evolution of production hasn't changed our business that much. But when it comes to distribution and broadcasts, streaming has really affected our work because streaming contains no commercials. The writing of the shows need to be approached completely differently. For example, in a 20-minute show, if there is a commercial break, we can use that as a convenient means to change the point in time in the story or change perspectives. But when it comes to streaming shows on Netflix or Hulu, there are no commercial breaks. So traditional commercial break storytelling has to be forsaken in forms of different storytelling styles, end quote. And you see that happen throughout the entirety of the season of Cowboy Bebop. Those stingers that come up um, to, to indicate the halfway point of the episode before they go commercial and come back. And like he says, you're either with a different character, a different perspective, um, or whatever it happens to be. It was a trapping of convenience for storytelling. And now, like he rightly says, I can't stress this enough, check out the Stranger Things episode because this ties in so wonderfully to what I'm trying to express and um, to, a to, to a lesser extent, Troll Hunter episode as well, the Troll Hunters episode that I did earlier in the year. The entire storytelling structure of how to approach anime or any sort of serialized TV show has changed dramatically now because of that. And this ties into my point because I would have thought you can't, even more now, more so than ever, you can't have filler episodes because there's no commercial break to distract anybody. The commercial break is pausing it to get another drink to go to the bathroom. That's it. It needs to be a cohesive, flowing story from beginning to end. Now, I mentioned earlier about how there are some deeper themes that are touched upon in this show, like um, Ed's abandonment issues, Faye's um, accident that led to amnesia, not knowing who she is. She's this, she's a, a person out of time. She's from the past, young in the future. And it's highlighted in a wonderful scene where one of her old classmates, when she goes home, when she finally starts piecing together who she is and where she comes from, one of her old classmates just happens to be there and uh, comments to her, and it, it really blows her mind. There's a lot of deeper themes that are touched upon across this entire show. Things like existentialism, when that uh, old satellite AI becomes sentient and starts drawing out the old uh, like uh, Mayan drawings on the side that a lot of people uh, purport to be from aliens uh, here and now. The sexuality issues of human connectivity, you know, how do you connect to people? It's not easy sometimes, and this, this explores that a little bit. But my problem with this is that these themes are only ever touched upon within the episode's runtime. So, for example, you look at the theme of existentialism. What is real? What is considered life? At what point is AI alive? And this was the first major time I think we were introduced to Ed as well. But by the end of the episode, that's it. And I don't think we really, really touch upon it on any deeper level than it was touched upon then. And that's a problem for me because they try to cover a lot of ground this way by touching upon a lot of different sort of deeper thematical ideas, 
but it feels like having themes running throughout the entire thing would have been better. Even if it was just like touched upon and developed a little bit here, a little bit there over the course of the entire 26 episodes, as opposed to today, we're going to talk about this. Next week, we're going to talk about that. And they're never really going to cross over again. And this is different to having a cohesive universe that works within itself. These are like topic of the week shit. And I think it, it suffers a little bit because of that, in my honest opinion. Watanabe was asked in an interview with jazzmess.com once more. The question was, what's the theme of the series? The overall theme. And his answer is an interesting one, actually, because it's one that I can see where he's coming from. But personally, I didn't think it was immediately clear based on the watch through that I had with it. Here's his answer. Quote, Spike's past, or his karma. Part of his life you haven't seen. People wanted to, but we couldn't show it on television. He's referring here to the fact that more than half the episodes were cut for television on CB's first broadcast run, incidentally. On video, in the 26-episode series, you see it gradually. It's the underlying theme throughout the show. End quote. I can definitely see where he's coming from, especially given that Spike is the main character. But it's it, if that's the case, it is very subtle. I, I would agree. I do agree with his point. I mean, yes, he's the creator of this show, so he knows best. I never question that. I never doubt it. Although things are always open to interpretation, of course, and opinion. I can see where he's coming from. I can understand that that is what the the main theme is. That is probably the only theme that does run throughout the 26 upon reflection. But I just wish that the other themes that are touched upon, these sci-fi elements that can be so deep and explored to such such an nth degree with these characters, it would have been really interesting to see see them tackle it on a deeper level rather than the superficial week-by-week way that it is kind of discussed. Now, I, I, I made a little note of this earlier. I, I kind of teased it. Flashbacks. Not usually a fan. And the constant use of flashback as a storytelling device does become frustrating over the course of this season. The story often becomes more concerned with the mystery of what happened before as opposed to the narrative that's unfolding on the screen. And I do stand by that. I really do. It becomes obsessed with showing us the story that happened prior, the lives that led us up to this point, that a lot of the times the story that's unfolding on the screen in the, in the quote-unquote present almost pales in comparison because you're more intrigued about how they got there as opposed to why they're there now and what's happening now. Watanabe has this to say, and this is taken from a different website. This is an interview with um, the website Bebo Patek. .weebly.com if you want to check it out. And he says this, quote, All the episodes that contain Vicious that come out in Cowboy Bebop are directly related to the ending. Even before I made the first episode, I already had the ending in mind. Even though I had the ending in mind by myself, I was opposed by my staff. They were upset because they were saying that we wouldn't be able to make a continuation. So I told them I'd think about it a little more, but ultimately I decided to go with my original idea. End quote. So even though Spike ends up supposedly ambiguously dead personally i i thought he was dead that, that was my take on it and it's a bold way to go because you're going one and done you you feel like you've told your story and you can get out and that's that's fine because it's his story to tell but because the vicious arc is the main driving arc 
of this story, the flashback usage is so integral to it. But it's frustrating. It's frustrating because it's it's kind of highlighting that the story that happened before the ones that we're actually watching are more important, even though it all adds up to the end. And it's interesting because it ties back into that point earlier about he he doesn't want you to know whether it's funny or serious. And there are so many elements across this show that are so lighthearted and so enjoyable on a light-hearted, uh, sorry, light-hearted superficial level that sometimes you forget about the deeper elements that it's exploring. But the use of the flashback, that purported importance on the past rather than what's unfolding now, it does a lot to... It doesn't weaken the story at all. That's not fair. And it doesn't weaken the enjoyment of the episodes and spending time with these guys. But it does shift the focus and it does shift the importance onto events that we aren't privy to. Now, the biggest problem I had with this show, and this is going to be Steve's controversial opinion time. If you listen to the wrestling podcast I do with my friend Kieran called the Saturday Lunchtime Wrestling Club. He named it, not me, by the way. You'll be familiar with Steve's controversial opinion, and I think this is going to be one as well. I have issue with the very disjointed overall arc of Cowboy Bebop. I'm going to repeat myself right now. The very disjointed overall arc that runs, that thread that runs across the entire season, I have a problem with it. There is a connective thread that runs throughout, but it's not immediately clear. It often goes on tangents and is only hammered home, really highlighted and crystallized and just really, really formed and fleshed out in the last few episodes, which weakens its overall impact, in my opinion, in my controversial opinion. When you have filler episodes across 26 episodes that comprise one episode, and even the filler, this is how they get away with it, okay? You have a filler episode, but you have minor elements, really, really minor things that progress the overall the overall arc, the major arc, on a minuscule level, and thus it justifies it. And that frustrates me. That's, that's what I was alluding to when I say it goes on tangents, and for them to really hammer home that main narrative thread only in the last few episodes is frustrating because they had the opportunity to really craft a story that would have allowed the last few – because the last few episodes are awesome. But it's mired and weakened because they didn't spend the entire series really, really developing and fleshing it out on a much grander scale. When you're having these tangents, when you're having these filler episodes, when you're having episodes where every character gets – major or multiple episodes to flesh them out so we get to know them better it's just a bit of an odd storytelling technique because there are ways to get these characters across there are ways to make them relatable likable and help us understand them that don't require 18 minutes to do it i think that's an exercise in writing that we can take from this honestly i do think i i stand by it it's a very controversial opinion but i stand by it the disjointed overall arc over the 26 seasons weakens the eventual impact of what happens at the end of the show. I've got a couple quotes here. 
both from Watanabe, from two different sources. The first is Otaku USA Magazine once more. And I quote, For me, the storytelling style where there is an ongoing arc on top of episodic storytelling is my favorite style. I like episodic structures because someone could catch the series mid-series and still enjoy the show. For example, I often get the urge to catch a particular American live-action drama. But when I grab the show, and it might be, say, Season 6, Episode 8, and it's at such an advanced stage of the story, I feel rather discouraged and that I may not be able to follow what is going on. I also like it when there is a change in the personal dynamics between the characters as the show goes on. I tend to enjoy it when the personal dynamics between two characters are very different between the beginning of the show and the end. And in order to accomplish that, it's much easier if there's an overall story arc. End quote. And you see elements of this, especially in the relationship between um, Spike and Faye, because theirs is a tenuous relationship. But especially, you know, by the end, it's a tense respect. It really is because she's she's not. They're, they're all flawed. Every one of these characters are flawed. They're all likable, but they all have problems, which makes them more human and more rounded. Incidentally, my favorite character is most probably Jet. I thought he's pretty. He's a badass. It's so interesting that he makes this point because it's obviously a style that he's tried to put into here, and there is that overall theme of the Red Dragon with Spike and things like that. And maybe upon future rewatches i'll see it on a level that i didn't see it for my first time with it that might be the case if that is let me know tweet me at sweet story bro if you've seen this a couple of times but based upon my initial viewing of this for the purpose of this geek critique analysis i don't see that really prevalent across here i don't i just don't and it's interesting because he's, he's obviously a fan of it and that's the right way to go about it what he is saying in that quote is absolutely the right way to go about it. But at the exact time is interesting because you look at something like the, the Simpsons, you look at something like, and obviously thematically contextually, they're, they're totally different shows, but the way the Simpsons works is you can dive into any episode and enjoy it. And it doesn't matter what season it is. And he makes a great comparative point here between um, one of the live action dramas an American live action drama. You kind of do have to get in on episode one, watches everything fleshes out. You can't just deep, you can't just dive into any given episode and expect it to make sense. There is a grander overarching uh, story being told. And Cowboy Bebop tries to tread this line. It tries to walk this fine line. And I think, I don't think it pulls it off in the way that he wanted it to. He says this in IntoTheMatrix.com. The question that the website poses is this. What are the key differences between producing TV episodes and a feature? His response. It's mostly a question of story structure. With the TV series, you always have to keep in mind that someone will watch it. Next time they see it, they'll want to have more information. There's a different dynamic than with a movie, where your basic target is someone who knows nothing about the story walking in and getting the whole build-up from start to finish in one viewing. With TV, you always have to keep in mind you're working for TV. It has a fairly rigid format. And that much is true, perhaps, for when the interview was taken. Because, as we know, with these new platforms, with these new options for creators to get their ideas out, that's not necessarily as true as it maybe once was. Although there is still some overall formatting issues that it will always be a part of how a TV show works, whether it's on Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, or on regular TV. But he's right. You know, you go into the movie, everything needs to be developed and evolved in front from beginning to end. 
it world builds, it character develops, relationships get furthered and deepened, conflicts uh, get escalate, the call to arms, all that stuff from beginning to end. And you can pace it out a lot better with a TV show as long as you have, as he says in that first uh, quote, that arc that goes across everything. And I just think that Cowboy Bebop, that disjointed, that disjointed way of telling this, the more important story, the vicious Red Dragon story, it feels a little bit like sub, if you're driving the car with somebody, and I think I've used this analogy before, and they're not very good with the brakes. It's stop-start, and it's frustrating because of it, and it relies on flashbacks, which are usually, generally speaking, a lazy way to get a story across. In this, the fla- I, I, I'm forgiving the flashbacks in this because they're interesting. They legitimately are, and they're more like teases, like literally just flashes, and it piques your interest. But the biggest problem, the biggest problem is unavoidable. It shifts the importance of the story rather than from, from what we're seeing to what came before that we're not privy to. So those are my thoughts. Those are my thoughts from top to bottom on Cowboy Bebop. And I'd love to know whether you agree or disagree with them. You can reach out to me at SweetStoryBro on Twitter or email me at SweetStoryBro at iCloud.com. And I would love to hear your thoughts. If you want to be given a shout out on the next show, have your thoughts read out. Just let me know. Put it in the tweet. Put it in the email. If not, we can just strike up a dialogue, man, and talk about cool, geeky stuff on a deeper level from a storytelling writing level. And at this point, I want to go... I just want to kind of summarize my thoughts, as I always do. I just want to get my thoughts in order and make my final points. From the research I've conducted, Cowboy Bebop is clearly held in high esteem amongst anime fans, as I said at the very top of this geek critique. A lot of them citing it as the anime that got them into anime as a whole. And this may have more to do with the English localization timing of things rather than anything else. You know, with Bebop screening in the West in the early 2000s, probably about the same time as Dragon Ball Z became introduced on a wider mainstream scale. So for many, this was simply the first, not necessarily the best, introduction to anime per se. But with rose-tinted glasses firmly affixed, sometimes it's hard to differentiate first from best, especially when you throw in something as powerful as nostalgia. So, 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 is Cowboy Bebop simply a success due to its timing for being one of the first out of the gate? No. Its merit extends past the serendipity it is clearly graced with. Sure, coming out and being one of the first salvos into the West, and thus being the first anime many Westerners saw, has helped it to solidify its place within anime history, making it truly beloved by those that saw it on their screens in the far-flung era of 2000 or so. But its themes, presentation, and adventures still carry over to this day. The animation, its integration with minor 3D elements and fluidity have aged wonderfully and helped keep the stories that are told over its 26 episodes feel modern and fresh. Watanabe-san's intention was to make Cowboy Bebop feel both futuristic whilst maintaining its modern aesthetic, hoping it would age well because of it. Honestly, he nailed it. It has. Despite a couple of minor filler episodes, which are still, it must be said, fun to watch, and a few nonsensical character choices, it's only Bebop's disjointing running thread and minor pacing issues that really stand out for me as as true gripes. Even the grating overuse of flashbacks to tell a story before the story, although annoying as a storytelling technique, don't break the overall narrative. 
it almost feels as though the story that we see over the show's time is in fact an epilogue to the story we witness in brief flashes. We're seeing an aftermath of people trying to hold it together and carry on after suffering loss. And that's a compelling way to actually approach and embrace this story. Almost like survivors. How do survivors deal with living after having survived something awful? The bigger picture, however, is a universe of Watanabe's creation. Interconnected, tightly woven, referential, and influential, Cowboy Bebop does what all truly great stories do. It stands the test of time. It's just as good now as it would have been when it first screened. In fact, Watanabe has a take as to why this could be, as to how Bebop stayed true to the story he wanted to explore. And I quote, this is taken from a website called easternkicks.com, incidentally. I quote, I think that Cowboy Bebop's success was a result of my having not compromised. I hadn't thought that maybe if I do this, it would go down well in the West, or maybe people over here would like it like this. End quote. He didn't even factor it in. He just wanted to do what he wanted to do, and he wasn't forced or pressured by studios to change it. Now, there have been a few stories that I've critiqued for the podcast where the creators, the writers, have stated this as a major contributing factor. It was true in the Stranger Things episode too. Artists, when allowed to be free from the shackles of their monetary overlords, are then allowed to fly free. Free to explore deeper concepts, themes, and ideas. Free to express themselves in wondrous ways that a lot of bigger studio executives would either stimmy or flat-out kill because they don't understand. When you are allowed the opportunity to truly create, that is when you can create something truly resonant, and Cowboy Bebop is evidence of that. Although not perfect in my eyes, Bebop has flaws that longtime diehard fans and otaku may refuse to acknowledge. And that's fine. That's their prerogative. For me, for my personal take, it has a couple of problems I think that could have been easily fixed. Tweaking the vicious spike arc and making it a prevalent overarching story would have been the first step, rather than dropping in frequent hints and then rushing to tie everything up by season's end. But what the show gets right, which is the majority of what it attempts, it knocks out the park. Undoubtedly worth your time, Cowboy Bebop is officially too sweet. And that's going to do it for another podcast, another episode of Sweet Story Bro. Thank you so much, as always, for listening to my thoughts, for coming with me on this journey to understand the writing processes and what makes a good story, what makes a bad story, what are the pros and cons of any given story, because there's always going to be elements that you like, there's always going to be elements that you don't necessarily like. i got to stress, these aren't cons in the way of like, oh, this is shit, these are just things that I didn't really enjoy. And that's fine because we all have that take on it. Be sure to let me know about what you think about this podcast, if you agree or disagree with my thoughts, and what you think of Cowboy Bebop. What did you think of this anime? More importantly, what did you think of this story? Because story transcends the medium in which it's told a lot of the times. Let me know on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, email, whatever you want, wherever you want. And if you want to check out the story itself, hey, why not purchase it via the Amazon links on sweetstorybro.com? It's no more expensive for you, and it kicks back a percentage to help the show. Did you hear that? It's no more expensive for you to buy. It doesn't cost a penny or cent extra, and you kick back a percentage to help the show. Plus, you get Cowboy Bebop on DVD or Blu-ray. Everybody wins, man. And while you're at it, 
on sweetstorybro.com. All the social media links are there. I mentioned them earlier, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, whatever you want. They're all there. So rather than individually searching for it, just hit up sweetstorybar.com, click on your social media of choice, and get in contact with me. I will get back to you as soon as I can. I absolutely promise. Speaking of that, you want to be sure that you're actually subscribed to the YouTube for the sweet update bros that come up. Every so often, I will do a vlog giving you a, st- giving you a state of the uh, podcast address, if you will, just letting you know about updates, major things that have happened, exciting things on the horizon, and just sort of an overview. These are the things that don't really get discussed on the podcast. So if you want the entire experience and, and just to be kept abreast, be sure to be subscribed. Hit that little bell to know that when I've uploaded a new podcast. Don't miss out, man. Be a part of Sweet Story Bro. Be a story bro. And if you like the episode, if you like the research that went into it, because there was some, I had such a blast researching this. I had such an enjoyable time getting into the mindscape and the headspace of Watanabe, uh, Sato, and the rest of the team whilst researching Cowboy Bebop. And if you enjoyed it, if you've left with a greater understanding of how they structured their story, how they tried putting it together, and what makes their writing choices and techniques good and or bad, why not leave a tip? A couple of bucks. That's all it'll cost if you want to give it or if you want to give more. Hey, thank you. I'd appreciate it. I certainly wouldn't say no. You can give as much as a cup of coffee or less than a cup of coffee or muffin, whatever, whatever you want to give, man. I'd appreciate it. It helps the show. It helps the show exponentially. I cannot tell you. Like if I need to buy new equipment, new cables, if things break, uh, pay for server costs because that stuff's expensive, you know. Everything helps. I always want to make this show free for you, but in the goodness of your heart, you know, look deep inside of you. Just just look inside. If you took pleasure out of this podcast, if you enjoyed spending the time with me as I orated <laughs> my analysis, my geek critique on something we care about, as well as the research, of course, so that you understand it on a bit of a deeper level. This isn't just listening out. This isn't just simplistically going, oh, this is good, this is bad, and that's all there is to it. Don't know why I went Southern for that. Forgive me. But we look on it at a deeper level. You're a smart person. I know you are. If you appreciate the research that goes involved with every episode, leave that tip, man. You can do it at paypal.me slash sweetstorybro, paypal.me slash sweetstorybro, Hey, sweetstorybro.com, handy donate button at the top. Don't say I ever don't make things easy for you. Couldn't be simpler, my friends. So that's it. Be sure to share the show with your story-loving friends as well. Share the love. Spread the conversation. Until next time, keep your eyes on Twitter for the Monday Mention so you know what the next story is going to be so you can read, watch, or play it before the review comes out so there are no spoilers for you. Some people don't give a shit about that. That's fine. Download, listen away, and enjoy it for what it is. An analysis of geek stories that we love and understanding writing technique. And until next time, look after yourself, take care of yourself, and treat yourself well. Give yourself the opportunity to relax and enjoy some stories. I'm out.